Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. Let's get to the good stuff, shall we? Mark chap- or Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to be. We've been looking at verse 23, and uh, last Sunday I mentioned the fact that um, we are going to spend probably, and, and most definitely now, three weeks looking at one verse. And uh, this verse is so loaded, so packed with truth, that it, it literally will take us all three weeks to mine out everything that is in this passage of Scripture in this verse. And uh, I mentioned last Sunday uh, the call that goes along with the verse. So we're going to read the verse together here in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and um, or I'll read it to you here in a minute. And then we're going to jump into our passage of Scripture after we pray. So let me read it to you. It says this, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let's pray together. Father, pray that as we open your word and we study this text, that Father would speak to us in a, in a very direct way. In a way, Father, that brings you glory and brings us change. And Father, help us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And may we this week take the truths that we find out from your word. And may we live it for you and for your glory as we go through the week this week. Lord, be with the missionaries who are preparing their messages and preparing to come and and to reside with us and to live with us for a week and to to learn about our churches. And Father, help us as we learn about the fields that you've called them to, the burdens that you've given to them to to reach the people where they are with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, so many times we talk about the, trying to get people to come to church, but we as the church are called to go out into the world and to reach people. And I thank you for their callings, and I thank you for our calling to do the same. And I pray, Father, the things that we learn, the things that we see, and the things that we hear this morning, we will take with us into the world this week and share them with others that need to hear of the hope that's within us with meekness and fear. So, Father, honor your word this morning. Allow me to get out of the way and allow your words to get in our way this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So we summarized the sermon last week by using Diedrich Bonhoeffer's phrase that goes like this. Salvation is free, but discipleship will what? Cost you everything. It'll cost you your life. It's going to cost you your life. So as we consider the call to discipleship, we fleshed out two of the four conditions for discipleship last week. The first was there has to be a desire. Now, before I talk about desire, let me remind you, at the very beginning of our verse, there's a call, isn't there? And the call is to who? To all. Right? It said what in the verse again? Let's go back and think about the verse. And he said to who? All. This is for the crowd. This is for the core. This is for the fringe. This is for the lost. The call is to everybody. So I want, you, I want to remind us of that as we dig into the passage now. The call is for everybody, but there first must be a desire for you to answer the call. There has to be a desire. We talked about that last week in detail that a person must desire to be a disciple. If anyone would what? Come after me. That assumes that you are moving, you're seeking, you're already active, you're progressing, you're, you're in motion. So if anyone would come after me, it has the idea of desire. Are you desiring a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you desiring to know God more? 
Is there a hunger and thirst in you for knowing him? I love when the, the apostle writes that I might know you. He wants to intimately know his Savior. Second of all, there has to be a denial, right? We must deny ourself. Let him deny himself. This one's kind of self-explanatory, right? We got to place ourselves behind Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago, we talked about that when Jesus was talking about his family. And I mentioned how some of you are already halfway there. You know, you already hate your mom. You hate your dad. You hate your brother or your sister or what, right? You're already halfway. No. It means who gets priority in your life? Does Christ have top priority? Or does your family have top priority? Or do possessions have a top priority? Or do your wishes and your wills and your desire, do they get top priority rather than Jesus Christ? And you know what? We see in our world today, many Christians selling out for the things of the world over Jesus Christ today. We talked about this in our Sunday school, and I mentioned this in a service a few weeks back when we used the excuse that we're just so busy, right? Busy is what? Being under Satan's yoke. We get so caught up in the things of the world, the Mary Martha syndrome, right? We get so caught up with doing things that we don't do Christ. We, we don't follow Christ. We don't surrender. We don't yield to Christ. So there has to be a denial of ourselves, our wishes, our desires. And we're going to see how radical God is really when he talks about this in the next phrase that we're going to look at today. Because he gets pretty radical here really fast. And if you think a message is heavy, wait till you feel the weight of this one. No pun intended. Today we're going to look at the topic of death. We're going to look at the topic of death. And it says this. Our focus is on the third condition. Remember, we're looking at a first class conditional. If you'll do this, then I'll do that, God says. And we're looking at a first class conditional clause in the Greek here. So because we're, because we're desiring God, because we deny ourselves... Now we're going to do something with death. And what are we going to do? And it says this, and take up his cross how often? Daily. So many Christians today have a mindset of, I got saved, I'm good. I got my fire insurance, I'm going to heaven, and I've done enough that God's got to let me in, and I'm good to go. The Bible could not teach anything more opposite than that. Okay, now hear me out. I'm not talking about eternal security now. Okay, if you're saved, you're saved. You're going to heaven. But did God create you just to go to heaven? It is all the Bible written about just for you to barely make it in to glory into the throne room of God and you just trip on the threshold of the gates of heaven and fall in and like, whoo, that was close. It's not what God intended for any of his children. And you know what? You as a parent, you don't hope that your kid just barely makes it into adulthood. Right? What parent hopes their kid just barely makes it into my... Wow, they got married. That was close. What good parent does that? And you know what? What good God would do the same thing? God is not interested about people just getting into heaven. By the way, he already knows who's going to make it and who's not. He already knows who's going to believe and who doesn't. You know why? He's omniscient. We don't comprehend that, right? If we doubt that, we can go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and just, psh, there it is, right? Now, if you can explain that passage to me, awesome. 
how the sovereignty of God and free will of man works and the predestination, election, foreknowledge, and truth, and, and all that comes together. Uh, God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And I'm glad I can't think like God because if I could, what would I want to be? This is the trap of Satan, wasn't it? He thought he could be like God. You know what? I'm glad that I'm not like God. I'm glad that I don't think like God. And I'm glad that I need God in my life. And if I need him in my life, then there's a higher calling, a higher purpose than just barely making it to heaven. And Jesus describes it here. Let him deny himself and do something. What has God called you to do today? What does God desire for you to do? What has God equipped you, established in you, desired in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure? What is God's plan for your life? And you know what? This verse right here gives us God's plan for your life. His, his plan is for you to desire him, to deny yourself, and to die. That sounds optimistic. This is why you don't hear this on TV today. This isn't a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. You know? Woo! Let's all go out and die together. This morning in our Sunday school class with the men, we were in Ezekiel 37, and we're in the Valley of Dry Bones, right? Can these bones live? Well, God, you know. You know whether or not they can live. You know what? They can live, can't they? Why? Because we have a God who rose from the dead. And if you'll die to yourself, guess what he'll do for you? He will raise you up. And he will take control. And he will begin to guide your life. And that is exactly what we're going to be studying today as we dig into this scripture. Then, Lord willing, here in about three weeks, we're going to cover the last condition, and that is devotion. So we're not going to leave it with death. We're going to leave it hanging on death. But we're not going to leave it at death. So let's go back and let's look at the verse again. Let's think about these conditions in our head as we read the verse. And then we're going to jump into the idea of death here and what it means to take up our cross daily and follow him. So Luke 9.23, let's all read it together this time, right? Let's say it. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Let's look at this third condition more closely and take up his cross daily. I want you to think on that. I want you to think the word and here could also be translated the word also. So he says to everybody, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and also take up his cross. So in the act of denying yourself, you're also taking the cross at the same time. That's literally how it reads in the original language. It's not a do this, then this, then this. It's you're doing both of these at the same time. You're denying yourself and you're taking up the cross. You're killing yourself. After making sure that we desire to be a disciple and we're denying ourselves, the next step then is to take up our cross. To take up means to pick up. It means that it's already sitting on the ground. Remember when Simon of Cyrene was commanded to take up Jesus' cross? You take up his, the word take up there, same words. The cross is on the ground. Jesus dropped the cross. It fell on the ground. The centurion looks at Simon of Cyrene and says, you, you take up his cross. And literally, Simon of Cyrene bends over on the ground. He lifts up the cross, puts it on his shoulder, and begins to walk up to the hill of Golgotha. 
Same terminology used here as Jesus Christ, or in the story of Jesus Christ, that's used in this passage of scripture. By the way, it's also the same phraseology used in Matthew 14 and verse 20, where Jesus fed 5,000 people, which is actually probably 15,000 people, right? Plus women and children, the scripture says. He feeds 5,000 people with some fish and some bread. And afterwards, the disciples are commanded to do what? Go take up the baskets and bring them to me. What does the words take up there mean? Means literally walk over there, pick it up, and carry it back to me. So over and over in scripture, we see this. Um, Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, he said, take my yoke upon you. It means to literally pick up his yoke and to put it on and carry the burden. Carry the burden of a relationship with him. So in in Matthew 14, in Matthew 11, in the feeding of the 5,000, and right here in Luke's writings, we see this idea of taking up, lifting up, picking up. The command to take up shows crosses are not forced on the back of anybody. They don't come against our will. The cross is not something we have to lift up. It is a burden we choose to carry for Jesus Christ. No Christian should ever say, I have to take up my cross. We get to take up the cross. We get to pick it up. We get to, we choose to bear the cross. And how often do we have to make the decision? Daily. This isn't a one-time act for all time like salvation is. Salvation, I get saved, I stay saved. Positionally, I'm placed in the family of God. I'm in the family. I can't, be, I can't fall out of the family. I can't be voted out of the family. I can't trip or, or buy my way out of the family. I'm in the family. However, I can choose to live up to my name or not to live up to my name. Right? How many of you have ever had a conversation with a kid? You got, you know, if I'm addressing my kids, you're a DeVitro, you better act like a Smith. No, you better act like a DeVitro. Why? You better live up to the family name. And there's respect and there's character and there's expectations. And there's a lifestyle expectation. And there's choice expectations. And all these things within my family that I have for my girls. And they have to live up to that name. And I want them to live up to that name. Do you think God the Father in heaven's like, oh man, you're in the family, you're good, live however you want. What kind of parent would do that? Nobody would. And neither would our Heavenly Father. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. Nobody is accidentally going to fall into discipleship. Discipleship is a willful choice based on knowledge of who God is and a desire for others to learn what you know. This is what real discipleship is. It's not going to a class, sitting in a room, getting more Bible knowledge. You know what we call that? Learning. That's learning. Discipleship is you taking what you already know and giving it to somebody else based on the fact that you know who God is and you surrender to him. And you're willingly taking up what he has and imparting it or imputing it or giving it to somebody else. It's intentional. Everything about the Christian life is intentional. Think about this. There was only one thing that was accidental in your relationship with Christ. 
Makes you wonder what it is, right? Good. I'll tell you at the end of the service. I'm make you stew on that. Because you're going to sit here and you're going to think, everything that happened in my life has been intentional. God brought somebody into my life, gave me the gospel, brought me to a church, got my family saved, we read the, the Bible. Everything's intentional. What is the one thing that's accidental? What could it possibly be? Well, I'll tell you at the end. So we choose to take it. This is an intentional decision by every Christian who's ever lived. Remember Joshua when they were standing outside of the promised land? They're about to go in. What's he say? Choose you this day whom you will serve. If it be God, then be God. If it be mammon, then be mammon. But no man can serve both God and... You're not going to do it. You've got to make a choice. It's intentional. Jesus said that each person must take up his cross. By the way, this is why you can't buy people into heaven. It's not a corporate act that gets people into heaven. This is an individual thing. Every person, everybody at one time will stand before Jesus Christ and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Why? Jesus is Lord. And then Jesus has a book in heaven called the Lamb's Book of Life. And inside that book is written the names of the people who are in the family of God. And the names that aren't written in the book are illegitimate children. And they will not be entered into heaven. They will not be able to go into the family of God. And God will be able to sift out those who are real and those who are not. I said this in Sunday school. I think we'll be surprised by who's there. And I think we'll be surprised by who's not. But then i got to kind of follow it up with this. I don't think you're going to have time to figure out either one anyway. Because when you see Christ, you know what you're going to do? You're going to do what Isaiah did in Isaiah 6. You're going to do what every single Bible character did when they interacted with an angel or with Jesus himself. And the first act was what? Fall flat on their face. Think about that. You're not going to care about that stuff. Jesus said each one must take up his cross. The cross that Christ bore we can never bear because he carried the collective weight of sin and endured the righteous wrath of holy God resulting in our redemption and our relationship that we have with Jesus Christ and our forgiveness. While Simon and Cyrene was able to carry the cross of Christ, he wasn't able to bear the burden of Christ. So he simply carried a cross. He didn't carry the burden that came with the cross. And by the way, Simon wasn't called to carry Jesus' cross, spiritually speaking. Physically, he was. He physically bore the cross of Jesus Christ for a period of time. But Jesus ultimately bore our sins on his own body on the tree so that we could have redemption in Christ. Warren Wearsby had the privilege of sitting underneath his ministry personally. He, he also pastored the church that I grew up in, Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky. And Warren Wearsby said this, Jesus did not stop with a private announcement of his own death. He also made a public declaration about a cross for every disciple to bear. These words must have been radical to people when they heard it. Think about this. In, the, in that first century... In that first century, what's going on during that time, crucifixion was common in, the, in Ro, a common use of Roman punishment. You know that over 30,000 people were nailed to a cross in Jesus' lifetime? 30,000 people died on crosses. 
This was a form of torture, an instrument of torture that was perfected. Matter of fact, Jesus and his disciples in, in the Bible, as we're reading through his narrative, we actually come across a passage where Jesus and his disciples arrive in Caesarea Philippi and a hundred men had been crucified and were hanging on crosses as they walk into the town. So the, the cross was something that th these guys saw all the time. Matter of fact, it's recorded for us. Josephus writes this. He says, At times the road around Jerusalem were lined with hundreds of crosses bearing dead and dying men, their bodies bloated in the sun, surrounded by flies, covered with maggots. It was not pretty, though, uh, it was not a pretty thought or sight, or one that would calculate to win the masses. The Romans didn't do it to get popularity, they did it to what? institute fear they did it to institute fear so that they could control all the different nationalities underneath the Roman Empire and they did it to keep them in check and I don't know about you but when I hear a cross you know you see a jewelry hanging on somebody's necklace or or you see a, a cross like on a wall or something like that outside the church on the back side of this wall is one you know we look at them as like an icon right like oh that means Christian you know what the early church thought Death and the end is over. Here's the call that Jesus was asking. He was asking this. Are you willing to lose your closest friends for me? Are you willing to be alienated from your family for me? Are you willing to lose your reputation for me? Are you willing to lose, yea, your very own life for me? When Jesus spoke these words in this context, and Jesus was recorded. The, these questions right here is what every Jewish person had to work through. What's really important to me? My friends? My reputation? My family? My own life? Didn't mean that all these things were going to happen to everyone that, that surrendered to Christ, but some did. Some of them went through these things. Some of them had to be ready to count the cost. In essence, cross-bearing means this, being willing to, willing to pay any price for Christ's sake. Remember what Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Let's remember the cross was carried in by condemned criminals, ended with a humiliating execution, excruciating pain in the process, to carry a cross meant that you were going to bear it until you eventually reached the very place in which you would be placed on the cross. Once placed on the cross, you knew that you were saying goodbye to every person that was valuable in your life. There was no coming back. There's no turning back once you were nailed to a cross. We are called to crucify the cult of self-fulfillment in our lives. We are called to kill and to crucify self-promotion in our lives. We are called and we are empowered to kill the cult of self-centeredness in our lives. You know, you're, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You see, there's no room in Christianity for self-centered, self-guided, self-promoted people. Because it goes contrary to what Jesus Christ commands. 
Let him deny himself and die to himself. How often? Every day. The high cost of discipleship. We're to die to our rights. We're to die, to, we're to die, we're to die for the right to be right. The right to take revenge. The right to fight. We live in a time of cheap grace, don't we? We live in a time of cheap grace and easy believism where Christianity is more identified with health and wealth than with the surrender and sacrifice and service of people. Cheap grace. Listen to Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. How good does it work out for the sacrifice? What's his future? It's terminal, right? How can you be alive and dead at the same time? Because you've died to yourself and you become alive to Christ. This verse is screaming this concept that you have to deny yourself and take up his cross and follow him. Notice, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Why are you acceptable to God? Because you died to yourself. You're alive to Christ. Spiritual things have been awakened in your life. This is the opposite of 1 Corinthians 2, where the foolishness of preaching and all this stuff, and that, that it's, it's nonsense to those who are lost. No, it is complete sense to somebody who's saved. And it's acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. We surrender ourselves as living sacrifices, as someone who has observed what Jesus Christ has done. The problem with the living sacrifice is it doesn't, the problem with the living sacrifice is sometimes the sacrifice likes to crawl off the altar. Right? And that's where we get stuck sometimes. We throw ourselves on the altar of God and we hang there and we're like, all right, God, I'm good to be, I'm good to be sacrificed. It's like, oh, hold on one more minute. I got one more thing I got to do. I'll, I'll be, hold, that, hold that altar for me. Right? You cannot die on a cross and live for yourself. You can only face one direction on a cross. If we face Jesus on the cross, then we follow him in discipleship. Remember, what did God do when Jesus was on the cross? God turned his back. What does that imply? Prior to turning his back, what direction was he facing? He's facing the cross. If we are to face the cross, where are we going to turn our backs towards? Towards ourselves. We can't serve ourselves and follow Christ. If you're hanging on a cross and you want to look at Christ, you've got to look at Christ in front of you. He's going to be in front of you. And, and what's in front of him was the Father. And then when the Father turned his back on his Son, we still follow Christ today. By the way, God accepted the Son back too, right? Amen? Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you what? Your life. Death is to be daily. The need for dying to self is never finished in this life. It must be daily, a daily decision of the will because discipleship also is a daily decision. You don't disciple one time for all time. You disciple every day you choose to take up your cross. Every day, today, tomorrow, the next day, I must decide to die to myself that day and identify myself with Christ by surrendering to his will. To identify with Christ and surrender 
in suffering and in sacrifice is the call of a Christian. This is not an occasional occurrence. This is not only when we're revived. This is every day we're called to do this. Why must I do it daily? Because every morning when I get up, my flesh wants to feed on my desires. I want to dominate. My will wants what it wants. And I have to stop that. And I have to say, not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By the way, Paul modeled this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 31, he says what? I die. Anybody know that verse? I die daily, he says. 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die every day. Seeing ourselves as crucified with Christ gives us the power to live the Christian life. Listen to what Galatians 2.20 has to say about this. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who what? And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for who? For me. It's not I that lives anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. I had to get out of the way so God could get in my way. Galatians 5.24 echoes this. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified what? The flesh with its what? Passions and desires. Where's your passion and your desire today? For you or for God? Galatians 6.14, check this out. Be it far from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to what? What's he saying there? My desires are not worldly anymore. They're, 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 they're on Christ because of the cross. Paul stated his crucifixion with Christ enabled him not to follow the ways of the world, be it far from me to boast except for the cross. So why should we take up our cross? Let's get practical. Why should we take up our cross? Well, number one, you cannot be a disciple unless you take up your cross. Can't do it. It has to be a desire. Think of those who've gone before you who have carried heavier crosses. You say, well, following Jesus is just so hard. It affects my family. I don't have time. I don't. You know what? We had the same 24 hours in a day Jesus had. Was Jesus too busy? We had the same 24 hours in a day that Joseph had, that David had, that Daniel had. We had the same 24 hours in a day that all the saints who've gone before us had. And look at the great things they were able to do for God. Maybe it's not the time that's the issue. It's the priorities. Remember, busy means what? Being under Satan's yoke. Think of those who have carried a heavier cross than us. By the way, this includes noble martyrs, sufferers for Christ's sake, like those described in Hebrews 11, verses 36 through 38. You ever read that chapter, that chapter in those verses? Listen to what it says. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And I love the next phrase. Of whom this world is not worthy to know who they were. You are not worthy to even know what these saints were like. They were that spiritual. They are that high regarded by God the Father that he doesn't even mention their name on this planet. They're not worthy of you to know. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves, 
of the earth. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 to 38. Number three, contemplate the serve, the severe sufferings of our Savior. Contemplate the suffering of Jesus Christ himself. If he went to the cross for you, how hard is it for us to take up a cross? If he did what he did for us, how hard is it really for us to do back for him? Number four, grace will be given to help you bear your cross. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. How often can we go back for more grace? Every day it's renewed. Every day. His grace never ends. It's, it's unsearchable. It's, it has no end. Number five, cross-bearing will be a blessing. If you take up your cross, God's going to bless you. You say, well, I don't understand how dying to myself is a blessing. Well, get alive to Christ and you'll see what the blessing is. That's the whole point. we got to get out of the way so God can get in our way. Jesus is honored when you carry your cross. And in short time, your cross will be exchanged for a crown. The ironic part of the last one there is simply this. There actually are no crown wearers in heaven. You realize that, right? If you're doing everything in this life to get a crown in heaven, I'm gonna, I got a spoiler alert, okay? You're not going to keep it. You're not going to keep it. What is the first act of worship every Christian does? He receives his crowns and he does what? He throws them back. Because we know what? We're not worthy. And who is worthy? He is worthy. He is worthy. So taking up our cross is quite a condition for discipleship. Do you desire to be a disciple this morning? Are you denying yourself? Have you died by taking up your cross? Who are you following today? Are you following yourself or are you following Christ? Are you following his will or are you following your will? You see, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Discipleship is hard, but it's also a delight. Jesus went through a lot of pain, but what he did for us was described as joy. Listen to Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the what? You ever contemplate this verse? Who for the joy? It was fun to go to the cross. It was exciting to Jesus to go to the cross. How many of you have joy this morning? Five of you, that's good. It was a joy for Christ to go to the cross. A joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I think it would be a joy to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God, wouldn't you? That's not the joy. The joy was dying for you. Dying for me. That's what the joy was. Jesus found joy in saving his creation. And by the way, it should be a joy for us to bear our cross. By the way, did you notice in the verse it never says, never says that you take up his cross. You take up your cross. You see, many times we think, oh, well, it's easy to take up Jesus' cross. But that's not what he said. He says the invitation, the call is to all. All who desire. All who deny themselves. The call is to die 
and to take up your cross every day and carry the burden that I have for you that day. This doesn't sound like a one-time act for all time like salvation does. This sounds like a daily desire to have intimacy with you that every day you've got to wake up and you've got to trust Christ that he's going to give you what you need for that day to get through whatever comes in that day. That means daily you're following Christ. That's discipleship. And Paul said this, discipleship doesn't stop with me. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. So let me ask you a question. Who's following you? And who are you pouring into? Who are you, helped to take, who are you helping to take up their cross and to bring them along behind you as you bear your cross? And together as we all follow each other to follow Christ, we begin to build an army that used to be dry bones, they used to be dead, but now they're alive. And they've risen up, and they're able to do the work of the Lord in a culture, in any culture. It doesn't matter what culture you're in. In any culture, you can rise up and do what God's called you to do. How many say, I want that. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be empowered with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to go into all the world. And I want to reach my coworkers. I'm going to reach my friends. I want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? You can do it. And this verse that we've been studying is the recipe for that to happen. You've got to desire. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. And then in three weeks, we're going to talk about the last part. It's a very simple phrase, right? What is it? Follow me. How many times did Jesus ask people to do that in the Bible? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he said to Matthew, follow me. And you know what? We look no further than the very disciples that, that wrote the first four books here and, and, and more to, to see the call to follow him. What does it mean to follow him? And that's what we're going to look at here in a couple weeks. But this morning, the real joy for us is to bear our personal crosses for Jesus' sake, to take it up daily, and to follow him. The key there is daily. And the other key is personal cross. What are you going to do for Christ this week? What are you going to do, being empowered by the Holy Spirit of God who's in you, to do something great for God this week? And who are you going to invest in this week with the things that you have seen, the things that you have heard, and the things that you've personally experienced from Jesus Christ? That's the lesson to take with you this week. And go into all the world and what? Proclaim the gospel to those who need to hear. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that it is quick and understandable and that it's easy for us to be able to see what your will is. And Father, I pray this morning as we look at this simple little verse that it is just so loaded with your truth, Lord, about discipleship and what it means to be a follower of you. And Lord, I pray that as we follow you, we bring others along with us. I pray, Father, that we are taking intentional time and investing our time, our talent, our treasure into other people so that they too can grow in the word, grow in the knowledge of you and be able to walk in your statutes and walk in your way and train others to follow them as they follow Christ. And Father, all of a sudden, we begin to see the ministry that you gave to Titus, the ministry that you gave to Timothy, 
in Ephesus and Crete, where the church was called to take the gospel, to disciple one another, and to the older men to disciple the younger men, and the older women to disciple the younger women, and for those who were strong in the faith to teach those who were weak in the faith. And now all of a sudden, Father, you're building an army that can go into all the world and herald and proclaim the truth, even when the culture is screaming exactly opposite of what you're teaching. And Father, we couldn't live in a time period anymore where falsehoods and, and false narratives are out there and they're prevalent. And when people speak truth, God, the desire is to cancel them. And Father, your word can't be canceled. It is it has overpowered every religion. It's overpowered every ruler, every kingdom to this point of history. And Lord, your word will not stop doing that. We know that even in the tribulation period, your word prevails. So, Father, help us to trust your word. Help us to, to take the Holy Spirit of God that is inside of each one of us and use it for your glory to speak truth into the lives of people this week. Starting today where we are, and Lord, by the end of the week, may we glorify, may we celebrate, and may we proclaim and give thanks for the great things that you have done. Lord, convince us in our minds and in our hearts that your word is truth and that it doesn't return void and that we can see the word of God. It is quick and it's powerful and it's sharp as a two-edged sword and it can divide upwards and downwards, sideways and back and forth and pierce into the innermost part of man. So Father, help us to speak that truth and love this week. In your name we pray. Amen.